speak to us. 31st verse, Genesis 29. And I do wish my family were here. Uh, they've been with me here before and really uh, circumstances were that they just could not uh, come with me. But um, wanted me to greet everybody and, and uh, let you know that um, they wish they were here. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son. Now, this was, this was um, many months later, of course. At least nine months. More likely about a year, at the very least, later. And what she had wished for when her first son was born was that her husband would love her. Because she had given him a son. But now in verse 33, a year probably at least has passed, maybe more. And she conceives again and bears a son and says, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. Doesn't sound like very much has changed in that period of time. He hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now, at least another year or so has passed in 30, verse 34. And um, she says, after conceiving again and bearing a, a son, now this time will my husband be joined unto me. Because I have borne him three sons. Her hope was that what one son didn't do and two sons didn't do, now surely... Three sons will. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And left bearing. What I want to speak about a little while this morning is on this theme. What to do when you've been cheated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your thank word today. Father, we love you today. Thank you for its power. Thank you for what it says to each of us. Thank you for its eternal truth and its timelessness. I pray your blessing today. I pray you'd touch our hearts and lives. I pray that we would be God drawn closer to you because of this, your word. Anointed by the power of your great spirit. Move among us today. Move among us today in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. It was some years ago now that in one of their polls, the Gallup organization asked a series of questions about everyday life in America. It was interesting to me that one of their questions was, what is the most frustrating problem of everyday life? What is it 
that most frustrates and angers um, and aggravates you. And, and, and there was a list of responses given by the people surveyed and, and, and the stuff that you would expect was there. Slow drivers in the left lane, not using turn signals, broken shoelaces, alarm clocks that don't alarm, the, the stuff that you would think. But the number one, the top of the list, the number one thing that Americans say is the most frustrating occurrence in everyday life is when we put our, our money in a cold drink machine and we punch the button and nothing comes out. Now they say, this survey said, this is life's most frustrating little problem. Well, I thought about that. And you know what? Really, I, I don't think it's because we're all dying of thirst. And we're running up to these Coke machines in tremendous dire straits and put the money in and nothing comes out. I don't think that's it. And, and I don't think it's the loss of the money. I, I know cold drinks are expensive nowadays, but it, it, you know, I remember when they were a nickel. I really do. But, but yeah, but... You know, then I remember when they went to a quarter and we all said we'd quit drinking them. But, but I don't really think that's it. I, I think it's more fundamental than that. I think that that occurrence is just, is just a symptom of what the real frustration in life is. And that is, we hate to be cheated. We believe and we just... We just are built so that we think when we do our part, we ought to get our reward. If I put that dollar or 75 cents or buck and a quarter or whatever it is in that machine, I've done my part and I push the button. And if I don't get it, it's not the coat and it's not the money. It's that I've been cheated. And there's nothing more, especially to be cheated by a machine. It's got to be one of the most frustrating things in the world. No, sir, when I put something in, I expect something out. When I follow the rules, and when I do what's expected of me, I think I ought to get what I'm supposed to get. And when something happens and we've been cheated, we don't handle it very well. It, it builds something in us. It frustrates us. It angers us. It aggravates us. Now wait a minute. That's not fair. That's not right. I did what I was supposed to do. I should have gotten what I was supposed to get. That's how we see things. And that's how we demand that life treat us. But unfortunately, life is not fair. And I don't have to tell anybody in this building today that life will cheat you. And the, and, the, and the fact is, it's not a question of if we get cheated. The only question is, what will we do when we get cheated? What do you do when it's not a drink machine, it's not a bank teller, it's not, it's not the lady in the drive-thru at Wendy's that miscounts the change? I mean, what do you do when it's not these little things? If that is life's smallest, greatest aggravation, what about when life itself 
cheat you. When it's not a handful of change or a can of soda pop, but what do you do when it's life? When you did your part and you didn't get what you deserved. What do you do when life has cheated you? When you played by the rules, when you worked hard, when you kept your nose to the grindstone, when you watched your P's and Q's and somebody else got the blessing. What do you do when life hands you a plate of disappointment? When you get not fullness but leanness. What do you do when you don't get joy but bitterness? And I don't mean you're getting what you deserve. I mean when you're getting what you don't deserve. When you didn't, des you didn't earn that. You didn't ask for that. You did nothing to deserve that. What do you do when life cheats you? Not companionship, but loneliness. What about when you got cheated out of the job or the promotion or the raise that you worked so hard for and you deserved, but it went to somebody that didn't work as hard and wasn't as deserving? What do you do when you got cheated of that companion who died or just never came home or announced one day, I don't love you anymore? What do you do when you got cheated out of those children in whom you put your very best and they turned against you and against your God and your church? What do you do? See, it's not really a question of if. Sooner or later, we all get cheated. Sooner or later, we do our part and it doesn't work out. Sooner or later, I know as preachers, we go to meetings and we get told, if you'll pray, if you'll work hard, if you'll preach, if you'll do it, then your church is going to do this or that or the other. And, and I'm sorry to tell you, but sometimes when you put the money in, the Coke machine doesn't give you what you deserve. What do you do? When you come to church and you're faithful, you're not the ones getting the whipping. Because you don't deserve the whipping. You're there every service and you're worshiping and you're loving God and you're doing what's right. In our minds, we get an idea that when you do all those things, why everything's going to go right. But what about when it doesn't go right? What about when good people suffer? What about when the innocent do go through terrible calamities? What about when it's not what you deserve, it's just what you get and there's nothing you can do about it? What do you do when you've been cheated? doesn't matter if it's change at the checkout counter or expectations and dreams about life. It's hard. It's hard when you've been cheated. One of the greatest cheaters of the Bible was named Jacob. I don't know how they came up with that. Just a little bitty boy. Maybe it's the way he grasped his twin brother's heel when they were born. But there was something about him. I don't know, they just took one look at him and said, you know, we need to name him Cheater. So they called him Jacob. It means supplanter. What it really means is grasper. It means the one who reaches out and takes what's not his. It's the one who cheats. And that's what he became. You know, kids do live up to their names, I guess. And he did. He cheated his brother. He lied to his father. He even brought God into the equation. How'd you get this venison so quick? Well, God gave it to me. It wasn't God. It was his mama gave it to him. And it wasn't even venison. And it cost him. Driven from his home, he found himself alone in the night, running for his life from an angered brother who vowed to kill him. And he found himself in a far country, in the home of Uncle Laban. <laughs> you know, there is a certain symmetry to life. It may not be fair, but there is this law about reaping and sowing. And, and so the cheater Jacob met the Bible's greatest cheater, and that's Uncle Laban. And he fell in love with Rachel. First time he laid eyes on her, he fell in love with her. 
Now, of course, this was a long time ago, and evidently, Rachel was a cousin, but he loved her. So he went to Uncle Laban, and he said, Uncle Laban said, I, I love Rachel. I love her so much. I've got to have her as my wife. Uncle Laban said, well, son, she's a wonderful girl. You seem to be a nice guy. So I've got a deal for you. If you'll work for me. Now think about this. Now, now you, got, you, you guys there, you young fellows, right? You think about this. Uncle Laban said, you can marry my daughter if you'll work for me. For seven years. For nothing. Now I'll give you room and board and I'll take care of you and all that and give you a little pocket money. But you're going to have to work seven years for me to have my daughter. If Jacob's 23 years old, by the time he's 30, he can marry the woman he loves. Seven years. Well, it's a mark of his love for Rachel that the Bible says that he willingly joined in that agreement. And he worked hard for seven long years. He worked. He worked for Uncle Laban. He brought wealth to Uncle Laban. He brought a lot of good things to that family. And the Bible says his love was so great for for Rachel that that seven years seemed like just a few days. Seven years of hard work, getting up every morning, working, and Friday comes and there's no check. Every week, week after week, for seven years, but he loved her so much, it was just a few. Every time he saw her, he just worked that much harder. Seven years. Finally, that wonderful day dawned. Rachel was going to be his bride, and the ceremony, and all of that, and and, and, and I, I, I don't know how to explain this part. I don't know how it happened. I have no idea. But when he woke up the next morning, he looked over there and he had got cheated. He had the wrong girl. He looked over there instead of the beautiful, wonderful Rachel that he had dreamed about, that he had looked forward to marrying for seven years, that he had given seven years of his life to have her as his bride. And instead of the beautiful Rachel, there was Leah. Now the Bible can be brutally honest. Tells people how, that tells us how people are regardless. But somehow it's a little bit, I don't know, a little demure, a little kind in describing. It doesn't really come out and say that Leah is ugly. But it hints that pretty broadly. We're not sure. Something about her eyes. I don't know what it... Cross... I don't know what it was, but there was just something tender-eyed. Now, her name means tired. But she wasn't Rachel. No matter how ugly or beautiful, that wasn't really the issue. The issue was he didn't love Leah. He loved Rachel. So great was his love for Rachel that the Bible contrasted in giving us an idea and says that Leah was actually hated because he loved Rachel so much. Now, now I don't know that it means he hated her in the way we think of the word hate, but, but I, I wonder if it isn't trying to give us the complex feelings that Jacob had toward Leah. He saw her and what it meant was it was like that pop not coming out. It, it was getting cheated. When he saw her, it reminded him seven years of my life and I got the wrong girl. Uncle Laban took advantage of me. When he looked at her, he saw him. 
And it reminded him of his frustration and his anger. So every time he looked at her, instead of a smile, there was a frown. Instead of love, there was anger and frustration. And the Bible calls it hatred. He loved Rachel so much that when he looked at her, his face lit up and, and, and everything was better. And then he looked at the woman that he had been, he had been given in marriage and his feelings were akin to hatred. He got cheated. I hear him storming into Uncle Laban's tent that morning. This is not right. Got the wrong one. This can't be what's going on. You cheated. You lied to me. Oh no, Uncle Laban says. Snake oil salesman, you know. Oh no, no, no. You don't understand. In our country, in our culture, the younger daughter can't get married until the older daughter is married. And I thought when we made our deal seven years ago, I thought surely in seven years somebody's going to show up that likes Leah. Somebody's going to want Leah. Surely in seven years I can get rid of Leah so I can give him Rachel. But you know what, Jacob? Nobody's ever wanted Leah. So I had to give you Leah before I could give you Rachel. But I do have a deal for you. Seven more years. Jacob got cheated. Instead of seven years for the woman he loved, he agreed to work 14. Now, it is true that evidently he was allowed to go ahead and marry Rachel. And it is true that in that seven years, the arrangement was somewhat different in that Jacob did amass wealth of his own. But he did work 14 years for a cheater and a liar to get the woman he loved. Jacob got cheated. Life cheated him. He would forever, forever look into the face of a woman who reminded him of a man who cheated him. Rachel got cheated. She wasn't included in the decision-making process and she would forever share her husband with a sister, an older sister. Rachel got cheated. But what about Leah? I'm quite sure that Leah was like every little girl. She dreamed of that day when she would be the center of attention. When she would be the bride in the beautiful white dress. I imagine she had the colors picked out and the songs and everything. As she dreamed of the day that some man would come who would look at her like Jacob looked at Rachel. When he saw them together, she dreamed of the day that a man would care for her like Jacob loved her baby sister. I imagine she thought of the time that someone would take her hand sort of like Jacob takes Rachel's. That, that some man would come along that when he looked at her his face would light up much like Jacob's when he looks at Rachel. That some man would say to her the words with the tones that Jacob has when he speaks to Rachel. She noticed how when Jacob would be in a room and Rachel's voice would just be heard out in the hall, how he would stop what he was doing and he would just listen to that voice. If she could just find a man who loved her like Jacob loved Rachel, her whole life would be perfect. Everything would be wonderful. The wedding and, 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 and all of the good things that would come her way. But it would never happen for Leah. Never. Never. She would not be the bride. She would be the one snuck in the back door. She'd be given to a man who did not love her. 
His face would never light up when she walked in the room. She, he would never say to her the things that he would say to Rachel. He would never stop and listen to her voice out in the hall like he did that of Rachel. And she had no say in the matter. Leah might have had a problem with her eyes. I don't know how pretty or ugly she was. All I know to tell you is she didn't deserve what she got. Forever sharing a husband with a baby sister. A husband who loved that sister so much that his feelings for her were hatred compared to that love. That's not right. That's not fair. It is and ought not be that way. Life ought not have to be so hard for anybody but Leah. Leah had no say. She didn't deserve it. She did nothing but be born into this world and look at how life cheated Leah. I've watched it major hurt a heaviness that settles on the spirit. A loss of joy that follows. Any pastor can tell you we've watched the light go out of a lot of eyes. As life cruelly slapped someone around who did not deserve it. Nothing they did. You couldn't point to one thing in their life that should have ever resulted in what they got. The pain and the anguish and the, and the hurt and the disappointment. And you try to reach for them and you try to help them and you try to encourage them. But you see it happening inside of them. Something that turns hard and bitter. And some reason that never occurs. And why? Why me? And they love God and they go on and they try and they put one foot ahead of the other. And they go through the motions but something's there. Some bitterness and frustration. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you want something and life doesn't just take it, but it dangles out there in front of you and you're always reaching for it and you just have hope that just around the corner things are going to be better. Just around the corner, my, all my hard work is going to pay off. Just around the corner, if I keep putting money in the machine, sooner or later something is going to come out and it just never happens. And the Bible says eventually the heart starts to get sick. Eventually bitterness will come in. Eventually the light goes out of the eyes. Uh, oh friends, the question we all have to deal with, whether it's as bad as Leah or it's something much smaller, it makes no difference. What do you do when life cheats you? When there's nothing you can do about it? When you had no say in the matter? When you don't deserve what you're getting? What are you going to do about it? When you've been cheated. Leah did what most all of us do. She fought. She struggled. She tried to get life. She tried to get a hold of life. She tried to shape life. She tried to force life. She began to demand that life treat her better. She felt like if she could just take things and make them happen, that somehow the, she would find a way there would be some power in her. That, I'm just sick of this. I'm tired of this. It's not going to be this way anymore. She tried to frame life, force life, structure life. There's one thing that Leah lost sight of that I don't want us to lose sight of. As incredible as it sounds and as, as opposite as it, as it goes against some of the things that we kind of believe in our heart of hearts, Leah was going through all of this watching a man that she was married to look at a woman that was not her. Like Jacob looked at Rachel every day. See, the great irony of all of this is Leah fell in love with Jacob. And she wanted his love so desperately. And what she lost sight of was something we must never lose sight of. 
as strange as it sounds, the Bible says, the Lord loved Leah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, then. I thought if the Lord loved you, the sky was always blue and the birds always sang and the sun always shined. I thought if the Lord loved you, everything went your way and everything was always good. I didn't think you got cheated. I mean, can't God do anything? Well, let me settle something right now. God can do anything, but sometimes He chooses to do nothing. And life brings heartaches and pain and struggle. Leah was loved. I've come to tell somebody this morning. I, I don't know, and I'm not preaching to any individual. I have no one in mind. Thank, that's a wonderful part of my job. I travel and preach in churches where I don't, I don't know any, anybody. I don't know nothing. I, your pastor didn't tell me anything. That's not the way it works. But I, in my heart of hearts, feel very strongly to come to tell somebody, don't gauge God's love for you by the circumstances of your life. Don't decide because things are not always right that that means God is angry or God is turned against you or, or in some way. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that because Leah was going through what she was going through, God loved her just a little bit more. His love for her was not just constant. It was growing every day. I know it's hard to put all that together. I thought if God loved me, my kids wouldn't go through this or I wouldn't go through this or my family wouldn't go through this or my problems wouldn't be like this I wouldn't have these financial struggles I wouldn't go through all these hard I don't know how to put all that together but I know this that when things go wrong when you're going through a trial when life has cheated you it seems to me that God has just a little bit extra love for you and God loves you maybe a little bit more doesn't seem to make sense but maybe that's what Paul was talking about when he said I glory in my infirmities in other words I I get a kick out of it when things go wrong. How can you say that, Paul? He said, because when I am weak, that's when I am strong. When I can't make it right, that's when God can step in. That's when God's love can hold me. A man caught up into the third heavens who saw things unlawful to utter, yet later he said, God, take this thorn out of my flesh. And he prayed three times. And God finally said, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to bear it, but I want you to know my love. My grace is sufficient for you. You gotta remember God loves you today. Don't gauge it by what you're going through. God's love is constant. God's love never changes. God's love for you is not reflected in what you go through. God loves you today. And God blessed Leah. Now this was a long time ago. I think you figured that out. You guys that are not married, you can't have two wives. Jacob ended up with four wives. But you can't do that. That's not the way. You just can't do that, okay? And there were other things that were different. And, and, and you, you ladies, you'll understand. I, I'm sorry, but women back in that day had one purpose. And that was to bring children into the world. There was no other value in their life. That's what it was about. And I'm sorry to tell you that it was about male children. It was about little boys. I'm not saying they didn't love little girls, but you have to understand these were hard times in a different culture and a different day. And future survival depended on hands, strong hands to do work. Most babies did not survive. Most children died as children. And so when many children came into a family, that brought value and purpose in a woman's life. 
And when they were male children who could provide for the old age of the parents and help in the, in the hard struggle that life was back in those days, there was a premium placed on that. It was not a hard and a cruel thing. They loved the little girls. But it was something special when a woman, when a wife brought a little boy into a family. It, 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 made, it was a crowning achievement. It, it was something, a mark of tremendous success. And, and, and it, it brought honor and it brought, a certain, it brought a certain success and a feeling of worth. And people looked at that woman differently and they saw her as fulfilling her purpose in life. It wasn't, what I'm trying to tell you is we just read that God blessed her with children, opened her womb. And, and we, we pass over that because we don't understand what an incredible blessing that was what that really meant in that day and time. Here was Leah married to a man who did not love her, who indeed the Bible says hated her. Here's Leah sharing her husband with a much more beautiful, much more vivacious, and a much deeper loved little sister. And yet Rachel was barren, but Leah began to bear children, and not just children. When they laid that little boy in her arms and she counted his fingers and toes, and she realized what a blessing what God had done for her, I know she was full of joy and I know she loved that little boy but look at this she did that and saw that and forgot that it was a blessing and forgot it was a mark of the love of God all it was in her mind was a tool to try to change life to try to make life better to try to force life to be fair now she said will my husband love me now I'll get my just reward now life will treat me like I deserve to be treated Notice the name. She called him Reuben. Reuben means see me. Now when I walk in, his face will light up. Now when I come in, he'll say, that's my wife. That's Leah. I love Leah. Now I'll take the blessings of God and I'll twist them and turn them and I'll use them to force life to be fair to me. Oh friend, what an incredible frustration. What a terrible tragedy to live life. Taking the blessings of God and trying to use them to prove that life can be fair. It just doesn't work like that. Take the blessings of God and thank Him for them. But don't use them as tools to force life to treat you like you want to be treated just didn't work it never works be careful about saying I drive the car I drive because I serve God I wear the kind of clothes I wear because I love the Lord be careful about taking the blessings of God and trying to force life because it rains on the just and the unjust problems and troubles come to everybody and the poorest saint of God that has nothing of this world is just as loved of God as the richest man that has the Holy Ghost. You just can't take those blessings and try to turn them and twist them and make people treat you right and make people see you in a different light. Life is just life and it's the same for everybody. And you just got to take the blessings and say thank you God and forget about making life be fair. Now will my husband love me, but it didn't work. A year later, she had another child, and it's, it breaks my heart every time I think about it. She named this little boy another blessing from God. Rachel is still barren, but here she's got a second son, and she calls his name Simeon, which means, hear me. Hear me. My voice in the hall. When I speak, you won't be staring into space. Now. Now, but he still didn't love her. Third boy came along. 
She called him Levi. It means joined or attached. In a most literal sense, it means brought together. Now will our hearts. Now this time my husband will love me. I have borne him three sons. It has been said you cannot make someone love you. And I suppose that's true. It's also true there are some struggles and problems and, and difficulties and unfairnesses in life that you just can't change. I quoted that scripture to you. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Her hopes were not deferred. They were dashed brutally on the rocks of life. She must have reached a low point. After the birth of that third boy, she put him in the arms of Jacob and his, his eyes lit up when he saw that child, but when he looked back up at her, that same coldness, he still didn't see her. He still didn't hear her. He still was not joined to her. All that she did, I, I've always imagined, and I, this is just imagination, but I've always imagined of all the four wives, Leah was the one who made sure everything was just right. She was the one who always spent that extra time to be sure she looked as good as she could look. She always dressed as good as she could dress. She made sure that the meals were always what Jacob wanted. Her, her first words, anytime family plans were made, was, well, what would Jacob want us to do? Her love for him was overwhelming, and it, and it shaped her entire life. Every day, her eyes anxiously searched his to see if there would be any flame, any flicker of love at all. She watched his face, sometimes for hours. As he worked, she followed his movements. She longed for just any hope. Three boys, three healthy boys, three strong indications of a secure future. Now will my husband love me. I've done the best I can do. I, I've given everything. I've, I've, I've shaped my life around this man. I've done everything I can possibly do. But he didn't love her. And nothing she could do seemed to be able to change it. Nothing she could do seemed to turn it around. And I just wonder when the bitterness began to set in. I just wonder when the hopelessness began to come. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I wonder when the heart sickness began. I wonder at what time she began to lose any hope that life would ever be better, that things would ever be worth living again. I wonder at what point, but whenever it was, when, when Leah reached that crossroad, when she came to that place, and we all come there sooner or later, whether it's when we're young and life goes sour, or whether it's when we're old and we realize we worked for decades and we have nothing to show for it. I don't know when and I don't know how and I don't know the circumstances, but I wonder what happens when we get to this crossroad. We get to this point where life will make us better or life will make us bitter. Where life will draw us closer and more like Jesus Christ or life will drive us further and less and less like Him where the light goes out and the frown sets in and the shoulders stoop and the steps slows and suddenly we are crushed beneath the load of an unfair life. I wonder at what point do we decide sooner or later you've got to decide what's it going to do to me? How is
is it going to shape me? Am I going to keep my head up and my heart full of God? Or am I going to grow small and hard and bitter? What's going to happen? You've got to get to that point where you make up your mind. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to take this? What am I going to do from here? I've tried to make it better. And it is no better. So what am I going to do? The moment of truth. Life's great decision. What to do when I've been cheated? I've watched him walk away from church because of it. I've seen him blame God. I've actually had people tell me I was better off before I ever came to God. They took the wrong road. But Leah came to that place, poor, weak-eyed Leah, who loved a man who did not love her, who shared a husband with a more beautiful sister. <laughs> Leah. Came to that point after three children. How many years? Eight years? Ten years? Fifteen? How long did she compete with three other women for the love of a man who would never love her? How long did she live every day of her life around a man who didn't care for her? How long? But sooner or later, you come to that point of decision. And she did. The Bible says it arrived at the moment a fourth child was born. Another boy. <laughs> she held him in her arms. She counted his finger and toes. And maybe for just a flicker of a moment, that old feeling was there now. Now, four boys. One boy didn't do it. Two sons didn't do it. Three boys didn't do it. But now I've given him four boys. As it turns out more than any other wife. Four boys. Four boys. Four boys. Now I've given him four children. Four sons. Now maybe for just a moment it was there. And then she realized, wait a minute. I can't keep going on struggling against this. I can't keep going on trying to force life to treat me better. I just can't do that sooner or later. I've got to decide what kind of person I'm going to be. I've got to decide how I'm going to let it shape my life. And this time Leah looked up at the nurses around her and said, it's different this time. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time it doesn't matter if Jacob never loves me. I'm going to praise God. This time it doesn't matter if life gets better or not. I'm just going to love God. I'm not going to try to gauge it by what happens to me. He's worthy of my praise. And I'm going to love him. You know what has to happen is we have to change change our focus off of what's wrong and get them on God off of how we've been cheated and get our focus on God he is wonderful he is lovely he is altogether perfect and all we need to do is say with my life I'm gonna serve God I'm gonna love God if I live in a trailer house or a mansion if I drive a broke down Vega or a Cadillac I'm gonna praise God if I have my dreams come true or never come true I'm going to praise God. I'm just going to love God. I'm just going to lift his name up. I'm just going to worship him. Sometimes the only answer 
is to change our focus off of how life has treated us and get our focus. I wonder if she didn't see Reuben and Simeon and Levi a little different. I wonder if when she looked at them now, she didn't see an effort to make life treat her right, but she saw what they really were, an incredible blessing of God. Have you ever noticed how the human mind absorbs the negative and repels the positive? How it's easier to dwell on what's wrong than it is on what's right? But if we can change our focus, we will find that yes, life can cheat you, but my Lord, look at what God has blessed you with. God gave you his spirit. God gave you his name. God gave you a church. God gave you a pastor that loves you. God has given you sunshine. God has blessed you in so many ways. And if we can just praise him, what a change it can make in us. I'm about out of time, but I want to tell you there's a principle of life here. I'm not just talking about an attitude. I'm talking about a way of living that changes everything, that, that tur turns everything around. That verse that I quoted you a couple of times from Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The rest of that verse says, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now think about what this verse is telling us. Now I'm going to boil it down into modern vernacular. I'm going to tell you what this verse is saying. When I get what I want, I'm happy. And when I don't get what I want, I'm sad. That's all that verse is saying. Now it sure knows us pretty well, doesn't it? This is not just for immature and teenagers and children. Every one of us are that way. When what we desire comes to pass, we're excited. We're thrilled. This is wonderful. Life's good. God's great. Isn't this wonderful? We're on the front row. But when we want something and don't get it, then our heart's sick and we're down in the mully grubs and we feel bad. Now, I'm not just talking here. This is a principle. God is not, through the proverb writer, simply making a comment on human nature. He is trying to give us a concept. Now get this. Think about this with me. Just a moment. I'll be through in a minute. But just think about this. If getting what I want makes my life happy, and not getting what I want makes my life bad, if getting my desires makes life worthwhile, makes life full of fulfillment, makes me feel good about God and the church and myself and life and everything, or not getting my desires makes everything dark and me down and depressed and me feel bad and life not worth living, then there is a principle. I need to be careful about what I want. That tells me my joy, my happiness, my fulfillment, my completeness as a human being is in my own hands because if I'm careful to only want what I can have. Yeah. Did you get that? If I only want what I can have, I'm always happy. Yeah, that's it. But misery comes when I want what I can't have. When I desire what is beyond my grasp. When I want life to do to me and God to give to me the things that are just not possible. Now what are you talking about, brother? Let me tell you what I'm if you want a million dollars, you may get it, you may not. If you want respect, you may get it, you may not. If you want health, you'll have it until you get old, and then I don't care what happens, you're going to die. But listen to me. If you want God, you can have all of Him that you want. Amen, amen, amen. Right. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of the heart. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but we've misapplied this scripture for years and years. We think it means to just love God, and then whatever you ask Him for, He'll give it to you. That's not what it says. It says if your delight is in the Lord, then He'll give you your delight. 
if what your heart wants is God and His way, God and His love, God and His blessing, God and His presence, and He'll give them to you. He'll give them all to you. If you want a lot of other things, I'm sorry, life's going to cheat you. But if you want God, you can't be cheated. If you want Him, He'll be with you. He'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Life may still be tough and hard, but you can have God. You can know His righteousness. Something happened in Leah. I, I, again, I, I don't want to undo anything I've said, but let me tell you what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And other good things will come along. Now again, that's because you haven't set your heart on them and made them the focus of your life and, and made it an e it made it a, a do or die. I've got to have a million dollars or I'm going to be miserable. Well, you're probably going to be miserable. But if I've got to have God or I'll be miserable, you'll never be miserable. Because you can have Him. Now the million bucks may come. If you don't focus your life on that, I don't know. I have no idea. I do know a few people that's accumulated some wealth in this life. But let me tell you something. There's no guarantees on anything except seeking first the kingdom of God. And you can have Him. You can have Him. Seek Him while He may be found. That means you can find Him. Keep Him first. Leah changed the world not by see me. Hear me. Join me. But she changed the world by this time. I will praise the Lord. That's the only thing that survived her praise. Not how she was treated. Not what she went through. None of that really mattered. What survived was Judah. In fact, when Jesus Christ, when God Almighty decided to come into the world, he didn't come through Simeon or Reuben or Levi. Benjamin or Joseph. He came through the praises of a woman long dead who learned the secret of life. This time, I will praise the Lord. And it changed something much closer to Long years came and went. They'd come to the instruments, please. Rachel dies in childbirth. Jacob bills her a magnificent sarcophagus. In a little shepherd's village on the road to Hebron called Bethlehem. You can see it there today. Rachel dies. And then Leah died some time later. They're all gone now. Jacob lies on his deathbed, blind. We're going to have to carry Dad back to that little village and lay him there beside that beloved Rachel. <laughs> but that's not what he says at all. He says, bury me in the cave. He means my pillow. So there I buried for there I buried he didn't want him to think it was Isaac and Abraham being there he didn't want him to think it was even mother Rebecca and grandmother Sarah he wanted them to know why he wanted to be buried at the field 
He said, bury me in the cave, for there I buried Leah. I want to ask you a question. There's a symbolism in all of this. Man born of woman, few of days. But does that matter? When for eternity, He has prepared a place for us where there's no tears and there's no sorrow and there's no weeping. Leah, you didn't have Him in life, but, but girl, beyond the grave, He chose you. He wanted to be Oh, he loved Rachel. She was so beautiful. But there came something in the life of me that shined out. And when he thought of eternity, he said, I want to be with Leah. Jesus, Jesus, we know life can be hard. But it's eternity that matters. Thank you for loving us so much to take care of eternity and being with us here, making a place for us forever. I want you to stand with me right now. What do you do when you've been cheated? What do you do when it's not right and it's not fair and you don't deserve it? Don't get bitter. Don't get angry. Just praise God. Just love God. I think about all the Kuhn family has been through sicknesses and so on and I know they don't talk about it and the last thing I'd want to do is embarrass them but I'm telling you these people have given you an example of what it means when life cheats you you don't give up you don't throw up your hands you don't stay home depressed and discouraged and let a dark cloud follow you you just go ahead and worship God and love God just go ahead and praise God and in the end that's how you survive that's what makes life worth living. If you're here